Good day. Welcome to Blue Lotus Radio Anaka Lima Talk Show. This is a wonderful opportunity for us. We can host Anaka Lima on Blue Lotus Radio, and it happens now and then when she can accommodate this in her schedule, which is a very busy one. Uh, where she works directly with the Ascended Masters. And she uh, said about this talk this morning, um, how do we overcome inertia? Hmm, that's quite a big question, isn't it? What is inertia? Hmm, another big question. Is it simply we don't want to do something or we rather overwhelmed by the present? being the last 2,000 years. <laughs> uh, I think she said that with her tongue in her cheek. So-called laws, cunningly implemented by the hidden draconian fallen powers that denies freedom of the mind, of the heart, and uh, the will. Not acknowledging that Christ is the supreme law of our, of our being regardless of so-called religious affiliations. Time is a construct. <coughs> Love is the law of being. Then you need to, to know your timeline, don't you? Do you know we are not all on the same paradigm of time? So this is how Anna Kalima introduced her session with us this morning. So, we are very, very happy to have you with us this morning on the Blue Lotus Radio on your talk show, Anaka Lima Talk. Welcome, um, Anaka Lima, and how are you on this fine morning? I'm very well, thank you, Ralph. Thank you for inviting me again. We have a bit of rain here in the Western Cape, and it's actually quite pleasant. I find it... Um, some people say it's very cold. I think it's a sort of warm cold, if that makes sense. So it's a time to get you know cozy and all tucked up, um, a little bit focused in the center of the heart, so that the actual warmth that we look for comes from the heart and not around us. Because if the heart is warm and filled with love, you'll be surprised what we can overcome. Even like certain Tibetan yogis, in the advanced streams of yoga itself can sit in the snow with nothing on and melt the snow around them. Okay, so that's an extreme, <laughs> it's something else, but it does certainly show that we are actually meant to command the ethers, we are meant to take dominion over the earth, the earth earthy being our body, and not be overcome or swamped by these things. Yes. Which, of course, I know is easier said than done. Thank you, Emma, <coughs> for being here this morning. So you've uh, introduced, and I've introduced your topic this morning, which is about inertia. And uh, this is quite a big problem nowadays. Many people are experiencing the tremendous inertia, um, which has also got to do with your comfort zone, hasn't it? We people also used to just uh, operating within a certain comfort zone, and when that comfort zone is sh shattered, then Ursha, to try and keep Ursha is also quite a dilemma. So, what are you going to tell us this, uh, this morning about inertia? Well, if we look up the word in the dictionary, inertia starts off as being a noun. So it's a doing a word. 
it's doing or lack of. So here we have in the um, dictionary lack of activity or interest or unwillingness to make an effort to do anything because there is um, something a little bit more intense behind that and then we have the law of inertia also called Newton's first law postulate in physics that if a body is at rest or moving at a constant speed in a straight line it will remain at rest or keep moving in a straight line at a constant speed unless it is acted upon by force this is quite interesting isn't it that inertia can actually also be looked at as not actual static non-movement but something that is moving but doesn't move beyond its own zone beyond its own some total momentum so in a sense we can then realize that inertia could also be seriously linked to the momentum or your capacity your drive to get anything done and if you have a certain drive that you keep going the same every day of your life you could be said that you are inert it could be said you have inertia is you don't seem to go beyond that prescribed um, output if you like sometimes there's also an input because you know we can't just be external beings we are also inward so there's always an, a flip side to it, the, the mirror if you like or the flip side of the coin to inertia must rest come to rest within uh, Ralph because it comes from mind mind is all in the late Edgar Casey, who when I was very young and read most of his books he had a particular book called mind is the builder which I enjoyed very much as a young woman mind is the builder and if we go into all forms of Buddhism particularly the um, Tibetan Buddhism, the very active principle of Buddhism in Tibetan Buddhism is the yellow Kayagyu division of the Dalai Lama. Um, they are very active, those monks and nuns, and therefore it is a different principle altogether. And yet those monks and nuns, as I've read certain, if we could put it that way, in-house documents can also suffer from inertia. Right. Because they become, they, they become, if you like, filled in a certain comfort zone. In other words, we look at the fact that in the sense of the monastic, his needs and wants and requirements of the hour are addressed. He does not need to find a roof over his head. He does not need to look for food. He does not need to look for the means to sustain either. Therefore, he enters into a certain stage of inertia. Once he's gotten under his belt the methodology of chanting or the great mantra work and so on and so forth of the Buddha, these uh, monastic beings can become very inert in their behavior because they enter into, as you said earlier, a comfort zone and they don't climb out of it. Of course, um, that's not what's meant to happen, but that can happen. Then the other side of inertia is a form of what I call catatonia, where inwardly we become a little catatonic um, we get suspended, if you like, or paralyzed. Inertia could also be a form of emotional paralysis where we are not prepared to go beyond a certain point, either out of fear or pain. And that pain can be both physical and mental and emotional. If it's physical, um, there's a certain sense of being bound and locked in. 
because if you move beyond a certain point in your body, if you've got a lot of pain, it's extremely painful, isn't it? So we tend to cut back then and hold, and we become inert. The whole being of man becomes a little bit mesmerized to his condition, and therefore in a sort of catatonic state, doesn't go beyond that point. I find this a lot in people who, and I say this with the absolute compassion of my heart, uh, please remember in, in all our talks, I've spent over 30 years counseling people from all walks of life. So this is not said in any other means than to say that people tend to fall into a little bit of self-pity um, out of certain conditions and then for they enter into a state of inertia where they do not go beyond a certain point of the way they operate. This is fatal. Mm. It is fatal because you can fall asleep. Mm. Inertia is the um, that point within the soul that can either lock you in so that you do something about it or you can go to sleep and I mean fast asleep because you enter into that comfort zone. Well, this is my condition. This is what I have. There's nothing I can do about it. You know those sort of comments that people will make? Yes. I'm doing my very best. Well, tragically, one has to say, are you? Isn't it interesting to note that often in I've experienced this in my own life when I've entered inertia myself, that when we are falling asleep on the job, as St. Germain often calls it, Life comes along what and gives you a bit of a slap, doesn't it? Sometimes we get into predicaments with either people or situations and we get woken up. St. Germain makes it very, very clear that there's no such thing as an accident. Even down to the slightest bumper to bump bump on the road, um, if you are asleep, you're going to get woken up rudely. If you are going to be locked into a state of inertia, you're going to be pulled out of it. Usually it's through your higher self as well. It's not always, well, I had nothing to do with this. People are very fond of deferring these things and always pointing it to some mysterious force in the universe, some mysterious something that somehow allows them to get away with whatever's happening. They are no longer qualified for what you're pointing towards them and therefore they're free. That's not the case. Because unfortunately we are responsible, completely responsible for every erg of energy we have and what we do or don't do with it. Yeah, that's quite a big interesting uh, departure point. So this uh, falling asleep, um, that's a kind of, in Asia is a kind of falling asleep. This is uh, quite a thing. I mean, nowadays with all the great, unbelievable change that is taking place, we see that those people who don't want to wake up, so the inertia is quite strong in them to try and just continue in the normal fashion as things were, but uh, things aren't like they were. And um, so, well, what can we do to help people not get caught up in this kind of inertia? Well, inertia today is the biggest problem why people won't wake up. But you can't leave it there because it's a static statement. I mean, because there is in every culture a point of inertia in the culture itself. 
particularly ironically the older cultures they become very comfortable in their comfort zone of i am this i am that or i'm portuguese or i'm whatever the case may be that's all good and well but the cultural ethics of your own karmic environment can't be blamed for your individual stance because in each culture there are still some very dynamic people who face insurmountable odds and surface from it despite it all and they are able to overcome as it were this 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 need although it's a, a false need to go to sleep also you'll find when people are overwhelmed with all kinds of confrontation and pain inertia is an option to block it's like a form of anesthetic to block um, and just shut down basically mm. switch off and shut down so that one does not have to face whatever it is whether it's very personal or you're with a set of people and it's impacting you or so on and so forth whatever it might be mm. I've experienced that with children when they've been through something really traumatic they actually shut down and then is you've got to work quite hard to get to them to interact with you once again. Yes, I think inertia can also be looked at um, from a compassionate point of view that often people who have experienced collective amounts of um, great difficulties and the trauma, post-traumatic trauma syndrome is quite intense within them and it is actually a form of self-defense as well, to become a little bit inert or mesmerized. There's another word for inertia, to become mesmerized to a certain point because you can't climb over that moment. You can't get over that moment. You are mesmerized or hypnotized to a certain extent within the realms of your experience. This can carry on for lifetimes. These mesmeric moments are locked or sealed within the causal body or your records, your Kashik records. And then, so help me, you reincarnate. And then life offers you, although we don't welcome it at the time, an opportunity, and it's not seen as an opportunity, that some experience comes along and it zaps you right on that button. And the inertia button is sprung open again and in you are overwhelmed by this sense of pervading depression because you feel intrinsically in your being you've known this situation before somewhere in your soul and now it's what come round again. And therefore there can also rise from it a sense of extreme injustice. Why do I have to face this again? Normally that comes from people who don't want to wake up. They resent very much. Um, they feel they're being persecuted to quite some extent and sometimes they are. It depends on where you are on the initiatic rung of the ladder, that divine ladder of Jacob, that Jacob's ladder, or the climb upward into the stream of the Christ consciousness. It's uh, very much a tactic of the fallen mind, the Nephilim consciousness, to mesmerize people because you can suspend them. You can hold them in a sense of mesmeric, like the, the mesmerism of family dynamics where there's always this caterwauling amongst people who are out to get each other and family vendettas and all the rest of it. That's a form of family mesmerism which is actually has a certain sense of inertia in it because they can't break the fallen dynamics of the inertia as to why 
we are suspended in this kind of behavior because no one's breaking the pattern. No one is seeking, in other words, to overcome it because the ego gets very involved in demanding its own point of view. While ego is involved, it will use inertia as a stumbling block that they it will claim is quite legitimate. Hmm. And that's where the media plays a role, where it keeps people on the same track. Uh, Mesmeric yeah. track, yes. Yes, same confines, thinking within the same confines, like a railroad. And you just, this is your track. See, you see, 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 if you don't break that track, you know, the little story, the little dog chasing his tail, you're going to be that dog chasing your tail. You're going to go round and round and round. And what happens if you go around a lot? We remember as children, you get pretty dizzy, don't you? And you fall down onto the grass. Okay, so let's take it to an adult level. We're not going to be happy and gleeful and shout, yee, and fall down on the grass. Yes. <laughs> um, instead, we're going to be filled with a tremendous amount of forebode. Um, and yes, that, that stream that is extremely subtle in self-pity and resentment. Resentment is a very, very nasty energy, and it will bind you again and again and again. It's also an extremely subtle uh, people say, I don't resent anything. You'd be surprised at how much you do resent because it will come up very, very subtly in you when um, you need to protect yourself over certain things or you become very adamant with your point of view over a certain issue. Meanwhile, back behind your point of view is resentment, which is for another time, Ralph. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that is also, you know, resentment is, is it once brings us back to that topic we've discussed before, which is forgiveness. Because when people are very strongly in the resentment, it is very difficult to forgive. Yes, it's, for, it's difficult to forgive if the ego is in the way. If your standpoint is so um, narrow-minded, you know the horse blinkers scenario, if your standpoint is you're not prepared to stand back, you're not prepared to take into consideration someone else's point of view, because generally nine times out of ten, resentment is connected to what opinion. An opinion nine times out of ten is secondhand. Someone has had an opinion, someone had an opinion, someone had a thought, a thought, a thought. Where do we know where the thought began? Someone's opinion. Well, the thing is, you end up having resentment over something that you actually have no understanding of. You add your opinion even further. It's very much like, opinion is very much like an onion, Ralph. If you peel the onion, there's nothing there at the center. But there's layer upon layer of offensive smarting to the eyes that burn. Okay, and the stench is normally foul. I personally cannot bear the smell of onions. But um, when you peel the onion back, what is there? There's nothing in the center. When you peel opinion back, the center is hollow. It has no real foundation, none whatsoever. So basically, a person who is caught up in that kind of mesmerism has, can't place their life into context of a, a higher moral world. Yes. They can't see their own life in perspective so, of, de of self-development. So therefore, there's inertia there. Yes. Inertia is not always what mankind has also cleverly done is labeled inertia to the really physical side or tactical side of life where you, you get the picture of the recalcitrant <laughs> T-1000 
teenager slumped on the couch watching TV. Yes, that's a pretty good view of a certain point of inertia. I also call it plain, you know, blank laziness. Um, so that's kind of another view on it. But inertia must be looked at on a higher level. To take it out of the sting of just being purely physical, it's not. It eventually gets physical. Remember everything, Ralph, everything begins in the mind. Every single illness known to mankind starts in the mind. It does not start in the body. Okay, it starts in the mind. It starts in the lower mental body. It then precipitates down into the astral body feeling world and then it incarnates as the masters say into the physical sheaves the physical body itself mind is the builder okay mind is a lens your mind is actually a lens it's likened to a lens on a camera so the all-seeing eye of god must be the freedom of that state in the mighty elohim cyclopea but the lens of the mind or the eye of the mind is the focus. Your mind should be your focus because it's actually a lens. Because the more you focus on something, the more you can see it. Is it not so? When you really focus on what you're reading or you focus like you do a lot of um, work on your computer, you're focusing, focusing there. So your mind becomes a lens you can sharpen to a very, very strong level of vision where you magnify what you are doing by focusing it. So if the mind being a lens is likened to magnification, we can make things far bigger than they appear in our own mind, can't we? We can magnify it to such an extent that we've got a mountain instead of a molehill. And then we say, no, that this issue and whatever it is seems so huge. But to some other person looking on, thinking, what are you going on about? But to the mind of that individual, they're looking at Mount Everest itself. Does that make sense? That's inertia. Right. Okay, let's take a break there because that's a, that's a, a beautiful in, introduction to inertia. Let's just take a small uh, musical interlude and we'll be right back.
So we're talking to Anna Kalima this morning and she's just been telling us about the mind and how the mind is like a lens and that it can, when you focus on something, you can make it larger than life and so we must be very careful what it is we focus on. Is that right? That's what you more or less said. Yes, so so if you are focusing on something that has no intrinsic value to your life stream, your consciousness, where is it going to take you? Because you're going to embody it, aren't you? If you really focus on something that you're very much involved in, chances are you have a certain belief in what you're doing. And belief is alchemical. You have a certain passion that you're fulfilling something, you're focusing on something. But if as often happens, particularly with younger people as well, you, you focus on the unreal. You're going to manifest the unreal in your life. And while you are focusing on stuff that has no real reality, you cannot actually transcend it. Uh, you cannot grow from it. You're going to be stuck in a mesmeric state of inertia. Okay, and this is why you will find some people get involved in things, Ralph, that they do their whole life, but they never grow from it. Nothing much comes from it, and they normally die very unfulfilled because they've been in a state of inertia because there's been no principle, intrinsic value. Why do I keep going around in all my teachings, in all the work I do? I keep working with the principle of the Christ consciousness. This is the illumined mind of God. What is the mind of God? The mind of God is the diamond shining mind of Christ or the cosmic Christ, the solologiae. And people tend to always defer their Christianity, defer their Buddhism. In other words, they put it off for another day and they put it off for another day. And they end up fiddling around with things that have no value, will not feed the soul. It comes back to the principle I shared with you in the time of the great Tathagata Gautama Buddha when Lord Maitreya, who was one of his disciples, he spoke of this age as being the replica age, and that there's, there's a lot of everything and nothing in between. In other words, there's no content. You've got lots of magnificent Buddhist temples and huge Buddhist statues, and millions are spent on these shrines, but there's no teaching inside there. As with the, with the, with the Christian sects and so on, and the great magnificent cathedrals and the Catholic side of affairs or the Christian side of affairs and they go to elaborate extent in some of these churches and um, 
beautiful stained glass windows and magnificent images of the Christ either on the cross or in some other way and so on and so forth. But these figures of Christ, as beautiful as they are, and they do hold a certain energy which is divine, just as the great and magnificent portraits or images of the Immaculata, the heart of Mary, are very beautiful. Where is the teaching? Ralph, if the Christ teaching were in the temples, in the cathedrals, in the Buddhist shrines, we would have today a divine gnosis happening. We would have a renaissance of divine spirituality. What have we got now? Absolute inertia. Hmm. After 2,000 years, I mean, Buddha was nearly 3,000 years ago, all right? Two and a half thousand odd years ago. And then our Lord Christ Jesus, 2,000 years ago. And then, yes, the great Muhammad, one and a half thousand years ago. There's been some profound teachers around. All right. But where's the content of their teaching? Why are the people not growing? Yeah, that is quite a point. Eh? So we've got externality. Everything's external and the spiritual content has been removed. Is inert. Take the word inertia and remove the last letters, two letters. We have inert. Inert means yeah. almost to stand still. He's inert, he's not moving, he's, he's standing still. Yeah. In the shirt denotes you can be standing still in a sense of a certain kind of movement, but you're not getting beyond the movement. Yes. All right, it's a kind of route, going round and round and round. So the state of mankind's consciousness at this point in time is imprisoned. It's inert. I'm talking over all. There are some profound human beings out there. There are some profound thinkers and light bearers. And normally they are a handheld few and they are by right hidden. They don't want to be around and out there and so on. So we don't know where they are. We don't know who they are. But their pious acts and their acts of prayer and work and so on is certainly taken note by hierarchy, by the great angelic kingdoms, the mighty archangels and the chohans of the seven rays. God knows where all his children are and what they're doing and not doing you with me there yes so the thing is if we've been led of course now we is the bulwark of mankind if we've been led and and led and led you know the pied piper of hamlam is synonymous with lucifer and the hamlam is the little cozy town and so on and so forth he's, he's leading you back into a state of a comfort zone that will put you to sleep in inertia where you think you're busy and you think you're doing oh but i do this all day or i go to work all day and i do that but you're still inert you're not doing anything. you're in a state of frozen thinking frozen emotion you're still thinking you're still feeling but are you really are you really is it not almost a kind of numb state of being Mm. Have you ever, if any of you listening to me, have you ever had surgery where you've had to have a full anesthetic and for whatever reason the surgery is, is irrelevant? You come through, you come around, and it's a very unpleasant feeling, isn't it? You're kind of there, but you're not there, and your body's sort of operating almost by itself, and, but you, you're aware of it, and you that is, in a sense, could be a kind of inertia of where mankind is. They're coming out of the anesthetic state of non-being, the, an, the um, amnesia, we rather call it than anesthetic, the amnesiac state of non-being. Hmm. As people are, like to say, I like to play a passive role. Well, passive can be inert. 
you can be very, very actively involved, for instance, in the great teachings of Gautama Buddha and passively involved. In other words, you're not aggressive with it. You're not forcing it down anyone's throat. Your activity must principally first be within. Therefore, you cut back and remove inertia. Therefore, you can then go out and teach. If you cannot overcome your own inertia, don't imagine you can go out and teach because Jesus said that's the blind leading the blind. Yeah. Have you ever attended lectures where you fall asleep halfway through? Oh, my goodness. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm giving you a rather harsh example, but yes, you know, anything. Oh, God. When is this blessed soul going to finish? Because you, you know sooner in the first five, ten minutes, and it's, yeah, and you're going to sleep already. And then uh, you can't believe. Have you ever wondered how long an hour can be? An <laughs> <laughs> hour can be very long. <laughs> and a person could say a lot of things that would mean nothing. And wow, you can fall asleep. You're yeah, right. Verbiage. It's just verbiage. Okay. Because they themselves are inert. They're stuck yeah. in mesmeric, mesmeric, sorry, frozen states within the compartments of the mind. And they're not thawing the ice. They're stuck in the frozen state of the intellect because it's compartmentalized. Whereas Christ is one sovereign being. The Christ consciousness is a being, a being of light. And that light is luminous, which basically means it is not, you know, mankind does not keep that light going. The luminous light is divine. Therefore, there is a divine principle behind that light. Therefore, it is luminous, just as your threefold flame upon the altar of your heart is um, suspended and free. It's, it's there. It's luminous. <coughs> it's unfed. Thank God, in his wisdom, we don't have to feed the threefold flame or we'd all be dead. That means none of us alive on this planet because of our inertia, because we would forget to feed that flame. And mm. in, in the archetypes of winter, if you don't feed the fire, you're going to get very cold. My goodness. Quite a thought, that. Quite a thought. Yeah. So this uh, state of inertia is quite uh, strong at the moment. And I suppose this is why the karmic impact uh, on humanity at the moment is uh, very strong. Uh, see, you see, you see, Ralph, as the masters teach, inertia is linked to another word called ignorance. And ignorance is a choice. If inertia is a noun, ignorance must also be so, because it's a choice. It's something you do, ignorance, you ignore. It's a choice. Ignorance is, is, not, is not a name. It's, an, it's doing, it's activity even if it is on the mental level, which most people are very good at. I've done it myself. We all have. It's very, very easy to ignore something you do not want to look at or face. So ignorance is a choice. Therefore, as above, so below, the masters from the karmic board say, ignorance is no excuse of the law. The law is the law. God does not break his own laws. And you cannot say, well, I didn't know. It's very much like... You know, children, when they're little, we excuse them to a certain point with, I didn't know, because they're little. But after a point, you can't do that anymore. Mm. You are supposed to know. You are supposed to learn. Mm. Are you with me there? Yes. Okay. The little girl, the little boy can play at being a little child for a certain time. And then after that, you need to know, because then you are deliberately avoiding. Yes. Okay. And then they get very heart sore, and they say, well, I'm just a little child. 
And we often find that adults do that too. They play, I'm just a little child story. I didn't know. No, you did know. The karmic lords are very precise. No, you did know. Because on inner levels, in other words, through the higher self, through awakening in the etheric octaves to the Christ consciousness, you do know. But your ignorance, which has nothing to do with your intelligence, is a choice. Ignorance has got nothing to do with how much you know or don't know. This is another misnomer. It's got nothing to do with intelligence, Ralph. Ignorance is an activity. It's, it's, to, it's, it's a choice. It means to ignore. Which means you've decided not to act. You've decided not to participate. You've decided not to take note of whatever it might be. You have sometimes willfully and deliberately decided not to as well. There's a deliberate ignorance and then there's ignorance. So ignore is actually a, a verb. So yes. you, you actually saying, I'm not going to partake of this, I ignore it. Yes. Yeah. So you're engaging a will yeah. in a region where an opportunity has been given to you, but you decided not to do it. Yeah. And you know, sometimes later on in life, 10, 20 years later, something comes around and you're deeply sad and you say, oh God, oh God, if only I hadn't ignored this then. Look what's happened now. Often this is the case with illness. The body knocks on the doors and we're in the writings on the wall, but you continue and you continue and you continue and then you go to the doctor and it's too late. The doctor mm -hmm. says, sorry, this is the condition. Um, when did you first notice this? Oh, you know, funny that you say that. <laughs> Five years ago, I knew something wasn't quite right, but you know, I don't like to make a fuss out of things, so I just left it. So I chose to ignore the fact that there's a potential to disease. Hmm. And then what happens is the disease incarnates because people have this peculiar idea that are brainwashed, unfortunately, that thoughts are ephemeral. They just float away. They vaporize like clouds. They don't vaporize. They sit in your mental body. And then they become entities. They become a conscious being. And then when you don't acknowledge this conscious being, it knocks into emotions and knocks on the door. And what happens? All kinds of funny, very uncomfortable emotions start emerging, start coming through. You're feeling uncomfortable about this. You don't feel very safe with that, etc., etc., because you've ignored certain issues. And then when you continue to even ignore that, oh, it's just a feeling. I'll ignore it. Because we've been trained very deliberately in the last 2,000 years to ignore our feelings. We've been deliberately trained by mastermind black magicians to ignore our feeling life. And when we ignore our feeling life, what happens? It must go somewhere. Hmm. It must either go down or up. If we're working with Christ, it goes up because it's Christ is light. So the law of light is levity. And if the thoughts are heavy, the law of those thoughts is gravity. Therefore, these are laws themselves, like Newton's law. These are laws. It's either going to go up or down. If it goes down, it's going to manifest in your body. Because it's so heavy, these thoughts. They are so, they have such grave, I use the word deliberately, grave, weight around them. <laughs> yes, it's amazing that word, what yeah. it means. And then they incarnate. Saint Germain speaks very, very profoundly about the law of degeneration and how the body degenerates. It's a law. Because what is it really happening there? It's breaking down. It's a natural law in nature for things to slowly break down. 
we call it in hum humanity decrepitude as well because that's a very s sad state it's natural process unfortunately at this point of um, time of mankind's evolution um, that yes we must face this illusion called death and generally unless prior to disease or accidents or whatever so called um, the body degenerates to the point where we can no longer live in it anymore in other words it ages and we have to vacate the premises and that's called death and then we go and rest, so-called, for a while. Well, what we do is look at our life circumstances, what we need to achieve, and then we reincarnate. Now, St. Germain wrote something very, very interesting, and I'd like to just bring it up for you um, on my phone here with regards to death. This is so interesting in one of his books. In fact, it's to do with his book on alchemy. He said, so-called physical death does not represent the end of being. It merely divides eternal life into compartments of identity and experience, whereby expansion and opportunity can be utilized to the fullest and each outworn mold discarded. Forgotten fragments can be pieced together by the seeker and woven strand by strand into a tapestry of such beauty as to thrill the beholder with a sense of gratitude for the perfection and glory present in each day of eternity. In other words, time is a construct. Mm. Time is a construct. That's very beautiful. This is St. Germain's words, time is a construct. He dictated that, those are his words. So if time is a construct, then when we've gone through this proverbial boogeyman called death, and we are on the other side, we see our life compartmentally. We can take that particular event, that particular event, bring it together and to weave a beautiful garment of our efforts. And then the master will say, well, well, that event and that which you didn't do so well, we're going to put through the violet flame. You're going to have to pay that back to life because you didn't do so well there and you didn't care, etc., uh, etc., et and you chose to ignore it. So when you reincarnate, we'll take these sets of examples and give them to you and you overcome them through life's tests so time is a construct if you can on the other side of transition or death take pieces of your life together out of akasha and weave into the great causal body that great body of light that holds every bit of good you've ever done since you've ever embodied that circle of divine rainbow light in Gautama Buddha it was called the rainbow body Okay, and, and the great Tibetans will tell you again all about it. It's called the Sambhokakaya, the great causal rainbow body of um, Gautama Buddha, was that he had more good than he ever had anything else to pay off. So the, the power of the goodness or of his causal body that he had enabled him to become a fully enlightened, full Buddha, you see. And when we've got lots and lots of stuff to clear up, we have to come back and clear it up and clear it up. And we often can become a little inert in it because it's drudgery. The same old thing comes around again and again, and we become very um, anxious, we become very resentful. And, and, you know, why do I have to face this again? Because you didn't understand it in the first place, because you didn't pass through the test in the first place. And you will keep repeating life's lessons until you've learned them. And when you've learned them, you can move on. And then what happens is we tend to become a little bit inert in that process as well. Because inert or inertia, that inert state of mind can also be a form of resentment. Because we just feel, oh God, I cannot face this again. So what do we do? We shut down. 
because we're not taught, we're not given the tools how to deal with life. The masters have of late been noted to say, and were saying to me not so long ago as well, that the present, and that includes the last few hundred years, educational system on this planet is a construct organized to control, downsize, shape, and enslave mankind. There is no such thing as education at the moment on this planet. Oh, you know, that is, that is something that really does uh, perturb me. That perturbs me. Uh, I s spent my life in uh, education, so I know what you're talking about there. It is quite a profound understanding that in fact education is non-education. Let's just take a quick break and come back to this uh, fascinating topic. Jaya Shiva Shankara Bam Bam Hara Hara Jaya Shiva Shankara Bam Bam Hara Hara Shiva, 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 Adi Sundara. Shiva, 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 
So, nice uh, bit of uh, chanting there, uh, yogic and buddhic uh, chanting. Um, we are back with you, and we're back to Anna Kalima's talk, and uh, as usual, her talks are very fascinating, and uh, we're plummeting the depth of inertia and uh, this potential problem that humanity really are in the very middle of, and that is of waking up. Yes, you know, there's also written, of course, in the Bible, the appointed hour will come where God shall awaken the dead. Now, from the Senate Master perspective, in my training, the dead are those who are unconscious or dead in the sense of non-reality. They, they live only in an absolute paradigm of um, time construct situations that have no life in itself whatsoever. They are completely asleep. They do not believe in anything beyond their physical body. They do not even believe in the divine. They might see it a little bit in nature, but they will always prescribe nature as to some event that just happened. Oh, it just happens. You notice that consciousness. It, it just happens. It just happened that way. How can something just happen in a precise universe <laughs> where you have galaxies and all sorts of things and planets suspended in the heavens that don't collide with one another? How can you just prescribe something to just happening? This is not only naive, it's actually foolish. It's absolutely ridiculous, in fact, to believe that something just happens when we live in a precise universe, when it takes exactly nine months for the embryo to form in the body of, a, of, of, of the mother that you may be born into that body. That nine months speaks of a specific time construct that allows something to happen. 
Things don't just happen. They are precise. They are absolute. Hmm. That is so true. And in an age where people are now studying quantum science, uh, they should, uh, I suppose, a person can't understand quantum science unless he's woken up. You know, waking up a lot of people in my experience, and I say this with um, respect for humanity, believe they are woken up. But if you are just becoming more and more intellectually aware, that does not mean you're awake. If you now suddenly learn how to become complete computer fundi and you know how to handle computer graphics and it enters you into a world that is absolutely wonderful, doesn't mean you're awake at all. That's all mechanical. Jesus speaks in his dictations about mechanical thinking and the mechanical processes of the mechanical intellect. He says the intellect is entirely mechanical. It's physical. And then again we come to the word construct, don't we? Yes. Okay, so thinking is also a construct. It's yes. given to us for the time being as a vehicle out of which we can process our life. But thinking must also be bypassed at a certain stage. Thinking, yes. the, the great Elohim and the great archangels don't think. They are cognitive beings. Thinking is a tool. It's a tool for mankind, but it's only a tool of the intellect. Right. Pure cognition is visual. It's visual and it has dimension. It has space to it. Hmm. Yeah. And I suppose that's where the imagination comes in. So that it is... Uh, vision anchored in reality otherwise it's just fantasy you see if, if I can put it to you this way again in, in all the experiences I've had and learned and studied over the last 33 years of my life and beyond I would say to you that some of the greatest teachings that I've received from the masters that have been given to me have been in a vision and then there are those who blithely label me as a visionary I don't live in ephemeral vision, Ralph. I live in the constructs of Elohim and form building and the divine geometric cognitive processes of form building, which is completely geometric. And therefore you learn to understand divine geometry through a very different process, not necessarily through mathematical formula as is known in physical math. Yeah. Because it's cognitive, it's intuitive. Yeah, I mean, they've realized now that maths is uh, is uh, something that they've limited. If you apply the Cassini mathematics, for example, the mathematics can calculate, because energy is frequency, so they can actually calculate right up to the threshold and cross the threshold. Yes. Quantum physics is, quantum science and quantum computers is opening up an unbelievable world. And yet, uh, can people understand? Can well, understand unless, it? you see, unless you prepare to take your consciousness out of the intellect, unless you are prepared to birth from the intellect into the divine, into the cosmic Christ consciousness, you will remain bound in mechanical constructs. Mm. Because thinking is a mechanical process until it is set free in Christ and it becomes cognitive understanding. It, we talk about wisdom and the masters of wisdom. What, what does the word wisdom mean? It means wise dominion. Yes. To live wisely. 
I want to be wise. Well, then live wisely, and then you'll be wise. <laughs> Even children are wise because they are the most ergonomically organized little beings in the world. They reserve their energy for what they want to do with their energy. They're not going to be bound with what you think they should do with their energy. They are ergonomists, children. <laughs> and are they ever tired? No. Are they ever exhausted? No. Do children get tired of playing? Do children get tired of doing the things they don't because they invest their energy where they pour their entire being into it and their cognitive processes. They're not caught up with a dead intellect. How long is a piece of string? Have you seen teenagers when you say that to them? They all sleep. <laughs> or the finger is up the nose or they're on the device or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> I, I've I've taught teenagers so I know <laughs> about that, <laughs> but some adults are like that too. Okay, but if we speak mystically, people go what? <gasps> and they all sit up. What? Because what does mystical hold? The possibility of cognition. Suddenly, the the intuition dial is pressed. Ding! And goes on this feeling inside. What? 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 What are we talking about? What can I see? We are visual people by reason that God is the most powerful visionary of all. The great central sun is also known as the all-seeing eye of God. Hmm. Did you know that? The great central sun is the eye of God. Wow. That's interesting indeed. Yeah. The eye of God is the cosmic Christ consciousness. It is the solar logia. It is the vision in Egypt of Horus. And it is the all-seeing eye of the silent watcher, mighty Cyclopea, the Elohim, on so, the fifth heaven. So Alpha and Omega sees through the Cyclopea's eye into the world. Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. Wow, that's very beautiful. Yes. Remember, there are many silent watchers. There's not just one being as in Elohim Cyclopea. There's an entire hierarchy he answers to as there are those that answer to him. Because the Elohim have those they answer to. The, the hierarchy of heaven goes all the way up to the great central sun. And even past. In the sense that we think it stops at solar loca. It goes even beyond. If we don't have cognition, Ralph. If we don't have an innate, intuitive vision on something. We lose interest very quickly. Why? Because we ourselves are vision in itself. We are vision in itself. Hence the comment that you are having this marvelous conversation with someone and they're so interested in what's the first thing they see. They say to you, yeah, I see what you mean. Mm. But you haven't painted a single picture. You're just talking. But they can see what you mean. So real thinking is thinking in images. Yes. And then I hear what you say. You get an SMS on WhatsApp. You know, I've, and you answered, I heard what you say, but the, you didn't hear the person's voice. I know, it's a, it's a, <laughs> a figurative of speech. But that, that's there's a no smoke without a fire. It's figurative, yes. It's figurative, but you heard it on the inner ear. Now, the Elohim Cyclopea is not one-sided coin. It's sound and sight yeah. are the same coin. They're the flip side of the same coin. You cannot see anything without its corresponding sound, even if it is beyond the frequency of your own ability to hear. There's always a corresponding sound, so is there with color. There's not a single color in the universe that doesn't have corresponding sound to it, or frequency, or vibration, for good or ill, whether it's a very dark, murky, horrible color, or the glorious violet flame. 
it's got a sound with the violet flame where Saint Germain says sings. Why does he say that? Is it just for his health? The singing violet flame. It sings. It has a frequency that sings that is very, very, very beautiful. Mm. It's like violins, if you like, the cosmic violins. Mm. And becomes a divine synthesis as it actually draws the whole um, biosphere of your body together, healing from the tiniest cell to every atom and electron and all these things in your body start mm. to become part of the great symphony of life. And the violet flame, if you like, is the conductor. Oh, that's quite a thought. So, the violet flame, is is that connected to the violin? Possibly, yes. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. The cosmic indeed. instrument of the violet flame could be the violin, yes. Oh, that's so fascinating indeed. I've always had a great passion for the violin. Yes, the violin music can be beautiful. Paganini is one of my favorites. You're right. The violin works of Paganini are quite something. Um, and if you really enter into them, you can actually enter into cognitive thinking, which means you're not thinking in mechanical terms anymore. You are working with cosmic ideation and the building blocks of Elohim because then you start to have divine vision. When people say, I have had a vision, they've moved out of the intellectual compartment because vision and the intellect are, are it's like oil and water unless it becomes cognitive, imaginative. Break the word imagination up. It's I image in the I am presence. That's what it means. The I image of God mm. to see. Jesus said, I have come to make people who can see go blind and people who are blind to see. What did he mean by that? Mm. Oh, indeed. To come back to inertia, don't we? It all comes back to that one particular point. And then it comes back also to the point of your timeline. If your timeline is very stagnatory, and you don't appear to be going anywhere, you must ask yourself, how inert are you? Mm. If you're stuck in inertia, you're going to have a very sluggish timeline. Oh, I never get anywhere. I never get anything done. Nothing ever happens to me. My life is so boring. I go to work and I come home. You see, you know those stories? Mm. But then you've got to move out of that timeline. Timelines are not fixed because time is a construct. Mm. You can move out of your timeline. Just as there is a lot of very deep misunderstanding with astrology. Most of these very fond astrologers, God bless them all, and I don't mean to inflame anybody, believe that once, you know, when you, you have your astrological chart done and you are born Aries, you're going to die Aries. And the masters say, if you're born in an astrological sign and die in it, you've not progressed. You've not progressed one jot. You cannot stay in the same star sign your whole lifetime. There's something wrong. You have to move through the chart. Because the chart is linked to the four and twenty elders. It is linked to so many things in your initiatic development. And if you can't stay out of the building blocks with which you you know, move out of them rather, that you entered in, then it means that you're inert. It means in a right. sense you're unconscious. That's good, good to do with the progressed sun. Yes. The sun progresses um, all the time so that in uh, 30 years... You should have progressed already, touching onto the next uh, sign and uh, sign of this uh, zodiac within your consciousness. Yes. So by sixty years, you should have moved on two signs. Yes, yes. 
So life is what it's about progression. It's about the progressive revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what he came to teach. So we come back also to education and we say there has been a very decisive, deliberate plot hmm. which began in the Council of Nicaea, 380 AD, where they decided to strip the canonical teachings of Jesus Christ down to one mere miserable little book. They removed the teachings of Enoch. They removed the Gospel of Magdalena. They removed the Gospel of Mother Mary. They removed the Gospel of St. Thomas. They removed the Gospel of St. Mark. They removed the teachings of Jesus Christ on reincarnation and karma. And they also removed in the Enochian book the names that Jesus gave of all the fallen ones. Because he did give the names. They removed it. We should have three fat books that represent the Bible. We've got one little tiny miserable book. Now apparently they're finding all these books now in the catacombs of the Vatican. Over a hundred books that have been removed yes. from the Bible. Yes, thank you very much. Amen. Absolutely. So then, if we go back just a few hundred years, who was it that was teaching the world, the so-called then known world? It was Catholicism. Why? Because they had missionaries. And the missionaries started schools for the impoverished. I'm being a little bit sarcastic here, but just bear with me. Mm. And we go into the various places of Europe and the United Kingdom. You've got Russian Orthodoxy doing the same thing in Russia. Okay. And in the Americas too, albeit new as such, we know that America was very much fashioned between French and German missionaries and Dutch missionaries and the English. Once again, there are various versions of the Christ, but the missionaries went to educate the people, didn't they? The schools actually, what we have today, was initially out of the, the Christ teachings themselves. That's where it initially actually sprung from. First to teach the principles in the, uh, of, of our, our Lord and our dear Savior. And out of it, you're learning to read and write and so on and so forth. And the concept of what we call education today slowly came through the birth of the intellect. Yes, when the Jesuits took over. Yes, yeah. God bless us all and save us from them at the same time. So, you, you see, education... Um, I must use a term that is used actually in communism called reduction. Uh, in China they call it reduction, which means re-education. And I can tell you that there's only been reduction on this planet. Hmm. There's only been re-education according to the fallen principles that have bound mankind to where he is today. Because let me tell you this much, we know if we look at some of the greats in history, these are the supposed rebels, these are the rejects of society. You only have to look at Einstein himself. When he was at school, they told him that the, fur the, the furthest he'd ever get in life was to be a railway sweeper. Hmm. <laughs> get out, get up, B-U-M, move. You can only go and sweep the railway, and, and we have Einstein. So we have these rebels in the world, God bless them, who broke away from this matrix. They broke away from it. Mm. And they presented you great philosophers, for example, are those that break away, like Pythagoras, for one. So the mavericks of the world yeah. are not mavericks at all. They actually... The saviors. They, they have the courage to break out of that matrix. Yeah, they are the ones who break out of the matrix and say, no, you know what, because we have the light of God in us. 
and the power of the Christ mind, there is nothing that cannot be achieved. And Buddha proved that. 82,000 sutras is what he taught. The canonical teachings of Gautama Buddha represent approximately between, they say, 82 to 87,000 sutras. Because yeah. he lived till he was 82, Gautama. He enlightened when he was 36. So from the age of 36 on, he taught till he was in his 80s. Yeah. And he taught by mouth, the word of mouth. And yes, they did do papyrus writing in those days. They did write a lot of the doctrines down um, that were hidden, were taken away and hidden, you see, so that the average layman couldn't get hold of them. They've done the same to the teachings of Gautama Buddha as they've done to the true Gnostic parables of Jesus Christ, Zarathustra, for example, the teachings of Mother Mary. She was a profound teacher. Mary was completely clairvoyant and clairaudient. Completely. Mm. So these teachings are, are, are removed from us. And what do we have left? It's very much like we have in our own country, isn't it? We have some of the finest fruit in the world in South Africa, and everyone in the world gets it but us. <laughs> what we buy as fruit in the shops is the dregs, is the bottom of the barrel. But we've got people sitting in Europe and America and God knows where else where with them some magnificent fruit on their table, and we get with the pits, the, 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 the sort of the dates, and then the pips of, of the olives at the end of the day. It's, it's similar to that. So we are left with the bottom of the barrel. Is it any wonder why people are inert? Mm. Well, especially with their genetic modification on top of it. I didn't bring inertia as a topic to point fingers at people. I brought inertia as a topic to say it's a disease. It's yes. a disease of the mind. It is. Inertia is a disease of the mind. So inertia leads to cancer. Yes. So cancer is inertia in the body. Well, I mean, we have a very cancerous society right now. I'm talking globally, please. We have a cancerous society because why? We've been forced into, are we really forced or did we manifest social separation? The social distancing is cancer. Isolation. Yes. The cancer cell in itself is very healthy. But what does it do? It isolates and yeah. then it replicates. There we've got this replica again. It replicates and replicates and there's nothing in it. Exactly. There's actually nothing in it. So the body is manifesting in cancers the replica of the age. In other words, there's no content. So what is life crying for? Christ. Right. Because Christ is not only cognitive wisdom, he is life. He is the life. How mm. people can possibly imagine that their life just happens and that there's no divine foundation and principle behind it absolutely beats me sometimes. Well, that's, uh, that's the mind of uh, Satan, you know. Satan thinks that uh, uh, everything is a time construct that can be manipulated and is manipulated. The satanic force manipulates time. That's what they are, have been doing for thousands and thousands of years. But now their time's up. You see, the Masters also teach, just as we know that we can progress in astrology, we don't have to stay. Yes. And that particular sign we're born in, well, the Masters teach that in the fall of mankind, the consciousness of mankind fell 
into the sacral center, which is also known as the seat of the soul consciousness. You have the base chakra, the kundalini, you have the sacral center between the navel and the base chakra. Then you have the solar plexus, then the heart center right and on up, throat chakra, crown and so on, third eye. Okay, but most people operate from the sacral center. Most people's consciousness is below the belly button. People get very offended with this. But I can tell you something. Most people are stuck. They are bound and stuck by their own choices into that sacral center. Because the sacral center is the desire body, Ralph. It's the desire body. It's the seat of the desire body. And what are we in the world today? We always want, 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 want. Mm. And generally we always get the things that we don't really need. Because of this desire. Jesus speaks of inordinate desire. In other words, where you just don't stop, okay? Where does it get you? Whether the desire is mental, emotional, physical, doesn't matter. We're not I'm not articulating anything. I'm talking about desire in a nutshell. Whatever it comes down to in your life is your private affair. But when desire is inordinate, you just keep desiring and desiring and desiring. The the late and great, as I used to call him my earthly guru, Dr. Wayne Dyer said in one of his beautiful books, you can never get enough of what you don't want. And that is the Lord Jesus spoke about where he said, to him who have nothing, he will have even less. To him who have, he will have even more. It's a law. It's to do with poverty consciousness as well and your time line. Yes. Now you can move from your soul chakra Back to your heart center. You can raise your consciousness into the Christ through the heart center. Therefore, you can move from an inert, unsatisfactory timeline into a definite, definitive timeline that actually arcs with the ascension. But it's going to require from you a great deal of work. You're going to have to, as Almoria has often said, you're going to have to Come to a point in your surrender where you're going to have to give up some of your most cherished ideas, cherished, cherished ideals, cherished, cherished opinions. Because uh, <laughs> as some of the great masters have said, often what is mankind's most cherished notations is absolute nonsense to the Godhead because they limit life. Like the concept, for example, in the um, geopolitical machine of the world, and we're talking now particularly of the geography of our, of our world, that the center of the earth is a ball of fire is a lot of nonsense. There's a complete planetary system in the center of the earth called Agatha. There are beings that live there that are very, very advanced. Yes. Some two and a half thousand years in advance of where we are at the moment. Yeah. Ball of fire indeed. There's no ball of fire in the center of the earth. Yeah. Well, now they've even... Really revealing that uh, even the moon is hollow and there are beings inside the moon. Yes, well, let's not go on to that subject because that's <laughs> one of my pet subjects. <laughs> and I don't <laughs> want to go there today because <laughs> I don't even believe the moon is real. I believe it's a satellite and I believe that Mars was our moon. Oh, my, my, my same, uh, Mars is also empty. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's hollow. There are, be there are beings living in there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They've discovered water. They've even discovered shipwrecks on Mars. Yeah. Well, this is another topic, I suppose, for another time. So let us uh, have, have a quick little break here again. And um, 
I will always love you, Saint Germain. We've heard a lot about uh, timelines lately from uh, some of these quantum physics that, that they talk about timelines, but um, none of them talk about uh, the timeline of Christ. Can you tell us more about that? First of all, we have to understand that the mind of Christ is not a timeline because Christ is the eternal now. We talk about the speed of light, okay? Um, what is really the speed of light? It is moving so rapidly into the mind of Christ that we are freed from the timeline. We are freed from the construct of time and space, physical space, because people are locked into the concept that physical space is the penultimate. There's nothing beyond it. But physical space is bound to time plant only lives so long, an animal only lives so long, human being only lives so long. That's a, that's, a, that's a timeline and it's a construct. It's bound into time. Because if we are bound too long into something, we can't grow. We can't go beyond it. We can't transcend. To truly enter into Christ consciousness, you have to transcend the mechanical concept of time, space, and thinking. And you have to move into cognitive thinking which gives birth to timelessness. So Christ, in a, in a sense, is timelessness. Christ is eternality. It's immortality. It's timelessness. If you are really going to move beyond the time construct of the physical so-called known worlds or the um, interstellar worlds of, of, of the galactic spaces, 
And you think that that's all there is because you see we've been tricked into believing that's all there is. Yet we do not understand that the, there must be a counterpart. You can't just have a physical space. There's got to be a counterpart. Just as you build a house, you are the spiritual space that fills that house. You are the counterpart of the house. If the house is empty and no one lives in it, what eventually happens to it, Ralph? It starts to fall down. It starts to actually fall apart because the molecular structure of the house is not bound together by the spirit. Does that sound too far-fetched? No, no. I think that is uh, exactly it because look at some of these cathedrals. You mentioned how there is no more Christ content within Christ, uh, between the teachings of Christ. But look, uh, some of these cathedrals, like the Salisbury Cathedral, is busy falling apart. Yes, I was there. I went to the Salisbury Cathedral and the spire of the Salisbury Cathedral, they had to literally reconstruct it and build it because this, the, the cathedral itself, I went and stood in that cathedral, was sinking. It's still sinking in its foundations. It's a very beautiful cathedral. And interestingly enough, there's a huge part in that cathedral that is actually specifically set aside for South Africa. They fly South African flags in that cathedral. Did you know that? So it's a quite an interesting little space there. Um, and also for Zimbabwe because they originally named the city Salisbury, which is now Harare. So there are sort of links there with other things behind them, uh, which have nothing to do with what we're talking about now. But um, have you noticed if you have something you're very fond of and you use it a lot and you're busy with it and then you get something else and you forget about this thing and you put it aside and you no longer embody it and work with it, and then come a year to two years later, you oh, well, I remember this. Have you noticed how it doesn't function properly? Even data, even digital software, if you don't use it, it's going to malfunction. Hmm. There's going to be a problem there because it's not as entirely physical as you think. There is a plasmic resin behind it as well. And that plasmic resin is actually the potential life force between how you embody that instrument and how you work with it. If you withdraw that plasmic life force, it dies. Hmm. It has no life force in it. It falls apart. It disintegrates. And so the purpose of a building uh, must have the goal of that purpose living in it, or else it will disintegrate. So if you don't live in your temple, it doesn't it disintegrate? When people don't live life of Christ in their consciousness, the temple disintegrates. It ages. How come it is that there are some people who knock well into their 80s and are so full of the vitality of life? And there are other people who are in their 50s and look like they're 80. Hmm. Well, some people create death in their mind. Some people create um, old age and decrepitude in their mind. If you really believe you're old, you will become old. Again, I must <laughs> quote beloved Dr. Wayne Dyer. One of the things he said in his book, I can see clearly now, he said, do not allow a tired old person into your body, ever. Mm. Because you will become old overnight. And if you think of what he's just stated, because when I was awake, he wasn't just a profound individual, he was, he was awake on, on a very specific path. And in fact, the devoted disciple of the great um, Mahatma Kasumi whom he revered as St. Francis, which he was in his embodiment, St. Francis. Okay, so he knew very well that thoughts 
can become entities because a thought can be inert and dead or you can give birth to it and something happens, right? So if you give birth to old age, now isn't this absolutely, how can you give birth to old age? You're giving birth to an idea and you invite the idea as old. I am old. You're going to become old. Mm. And the body will outpicture it mm. in one way or another. I, I had uh, a lady I was particularly f uh, uh, fond of in, in Johannesburg when I was there years ago who wasn't very much um, older than I am. This is going back quite some time. But anyhow, she approached me when I was turning 50 and said, well, what are you going to do now because you're old? <laughs> and she was about 52. And I looked at her and I said, Indian lady. And I said, I'm not old. I haven't even begun yet. She said, no, you're, 50, you're old. Because <laughs> she was so insistent on the fact I was old because she had become old at 52, really old. Mm. Do you see? So do you give birth to these things? If you're going to take your life forces and pour them into your thought constructs. You're going to give birth to whatever you pour it into. You are the creator of your own world. If you're going to keep saying the world, I'm sick, I'm always sick, I'm always, you will become very ill. You will give birth to it. This is inertia. Mm. This means we don't want to grow beyond the point. We are stuck in calcified, recalcitrant thinking. Which means we don't know uh, what we're here for. Yeah. We have to um, engage in the vitality of your Christ mind. You cannot enter the future if you're always living in the past, Ralph. 90% hmm. of people live in the past and yes. they regurgitate the past again and again and again. Well, you know, so-and-so said and someone said and this said and then they always say, well, Jesus said, but Jesus ascended and he's not in the past. He's here now. <laughs> he's not there. He's not stuck in the paradigm you've locked him in 2,000 years ago. He's way ahead of it. He's been ascended for 2,000 years. So the paradigm of past is none other than Lucifer himself. Yes, it's locking you in, it's binding you in to the constructs of mechanical thinking. Because if your thinking is bound to the mechanics of life, you're going to die. Because there's no life in it. In another sense, Ralph, inertia is death. It's a form of death because there's no life in it. Christ is not inert. There's no inertia in the Christ consciousness or the Buddhic consciousness. It's progressive. It's a progressive revelation. It means we transcend the moment. We evolve. We go on. Jesus made it very clear in one of his dictations. He said, if mankind cannot transcend, there is no future. There is no infinity. You can write off Heaven itself. Those were his words. Hmm. You can write off heaven itself. Then there's no heaven. Then there's no God. There's nothing. If you cannot transcend. Hmm. If you believe you have to stay on that same spot. Oh no, I have to do this because it's who I am. You have to go beyond that. You have to go beyond this deep, deep, deep sleep in your soul that makes it very comfortable and apparently, and I put in inverted commas, safe. 
to stay where you are. Safety can sometimes be your death. It's not safety at all. I'm not talking about people who must now go out and embrace death and walk in front of an oncoming car. I'm talking about a different kind of safety. No, I'm, I'm safe here. I'm okay here. No, no, nothing's going to happen to me. Are you so afraid of death you cannot live? That alarm in some of his teachings has been noted to say just that. People are so afraid of life that they're already dead. Oh, that's quite a thought, eh? That's quite get it over with quickly and die. Let's just get it over with and do this thing and die. There, okay, I'm dead. And they prove that they're dead again and again. This is what I do. This is, you think I'm moving? It's taken me my whole life to get here. You think I'm moving from here? This is what I've... And then you find the business that they run and the little things they do never goes anywhere and it never transcends itself, never goes beyond. Why? Because there's no foundation in Christ. Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. Meaning I am your foundation but I'm also your future. And without me, there is no future because you will be locked into mechanical constructs and they are destined to die because they're time-bound. So is your timeline death or is your timeline life? If your timeline is life, excuse me, if it's life, that means you can move to the ascension. If you refuse to acknowledge that you have the right as a daughter or son of God to ascend, you will remain in the timeline of death or physical, mechanical constructs, and you will not grow. The Masters have shown pictures of certain individuals where they do not reveal names or anything like that who stay in the same spot for embodiments, Ralph. Now, what does this speak of? Because in the sense of evolution, we appear to be apparently moving forward. Yet there are souls who on this earth now who still embody the construct in their thinking they did 500 years ago. They haven't progressed one inch. Well, that's why the fallen angels of their body, they incarnate into the same bloodlines. Yes. Over and over. The, the same, same bloodlines because they don't move, because they are inert. They suffer from inertia, which is brain-bound thinking, if you want to use it in a technological term. It's brain-bound thinking, inertia. Fear also causes the paralysis, you see. People are so afraid, but if you are so bound by fear, it means you haven't embraced life. It means you're mesmerized by death. It is such a horror death to the soul, because we know deep inside we're immortal. It is, it's the horror of all horrors. I can't die. I'm immortal. Oh, rubbish. Where do you get that from? Believe you me, you'll be dead by the time you're 80. Oh, yeah, okay, well, you're, you're right. Ooh, the soul goes back to sleep. <laughs> because we don't go beyond that moment. I mean, quite the critique here, but I'm trying to bring a point of view across no, that, no, is, that is uh, very important because we've got to also look at these things with compassion and understanding and mercy. But compassion and mercy is not sympathy. Somebody says, oh, don't worry about it. It's all right. You just continue the way you are. That is sympathy. 
And then the same person comes along a month later and says, What? Slap across the face. Why haven't you done anything to sort yourself out? But a month ago you said I was okay where I am, and now you're telling me I'm not. That's sympathy and antipathy. <laughs> Last month you told me you love me, now you're telling me you can't stand me. That's sympathy and antipathy. That is your time-death construct. Uh, you took about a month. Some people do it from day to the next day. Sympathy one day and the next day antipathy. No, I've seen people shift in one hour. So yeah. it's it's quite something depending on how, how deep the malady, the illness goes. Because that means that you're so bound to the mechanical constructs of thinking that you can't shift past. It's like the old grandfather clock and the pendulum going tick. Talk sympathy, antipathy, sympathy, antipathy, and you're stuck right in the middle of that. Because, mm. boy, it's going to swing right back round the other way again. Mm. And people become mesmerized by that. That's why you get things like the mafia and vendettas and so on, and, and, and these generational vendettas where, you know, your father's father did this, and I, and you know what I mean? We will have revenge! <laughs> Yes, especially if that memory is carried in the bloodline. Yeah. And you have blood, blood, bloodline vendettas which uh, continue for hundreds of years. The bloodline vendettas are, are set up by the great anarchist of all anarchists, Lucifer. Yes. Why? And Lucifer is known as the greatest anarchist, and that greatest is derogatory. Anarchist of all manifestation. Why? Because he will not allow you to grow. Because to grow means you can expand. He will block the river. The beavers, the luciferic beavers, will build the dams and the river can't flow. Because if it flows, there's a chance you'll wake up. You've got to be in the flow all the time. The masters teach you about being in the divine flow field of life. Love flows. The, the great... Um, abundance of the divine mother the cornucopia in some of the hindu pictures at, at least anyway we are we see this fruit giving cornucopia of lakshmi where there's this constant pouring out of the divine fruits of life never ever ending that is the christ consciousness it's never ending it's constantly there's more and more and more of it as al moria likes to, to teach us there's more and more and more and more you just get more and more and more and more of that divine flow but when we're in the constructs of physical mechanical thinking when we can't break free of this paradigm of mechanical thinking there's no more anyway there's less and less and less because it's time bound it can only last so long Christ is eternal there's no limit or bondage to Christ This subject, um, this concept, rather, that was fabricated by Lucifer quite some time back, the Luciferic hierarchies, that you only have one life, is the greatest evil that has ever been done to mankind. That people actually honestly believe they only have one physical embodiment. So, damn it if you do, damn it if you don't, I'll do exactly what I like, because I've only got one miserable life to live. Therefore, I'll live it my way. It is one of the most damaging 
clauses, if you like, they've put in their little book that mankind has bought into, that mankind has bought into the idea that he only lives one life. There are still people out there today who absolutely categorically believe you only have one life. Well, they eradicated that during the Inquisition. Anybody that was brought before the Inquisition and believed in reincarnation was put to death. Yes. They're still put to death, Ralph, today by our the intellectual burning of cyberspace, taking away your freedom to think and speak. You're put to death in a cyber sense. You're put to death. You're assassinated publicly in that sense. You may not think. You may not speak freely. You may not have any kind of idea that's your own. God help you if you think for yourself because we're going to remove it from you. Well, so we are facing the Inquisition all over. Yes. On a grand scale. Yes, it's now the Inquisition on the intellect, the Inquisition to actually the full Antichrist to oppose freedom of mind. But freedom of mind is a very useless thing. You can't rush around saying, I am free in my mind if you are not awakened in Christ. Because then you're just going around in the dogma. You're going around in the brain-bound, book-thinking-bound situation where people won't go beyond what they've read. They won't transcend what they've read. Some very bright somebody said something in history, and so help me God, the whole of evolution will be bound to that thought. And that brings us back to the media today. So the news is uh, another construct just binding us. It's also, ironically, if we're going to talk about occult thinking here, Ralph, occult meaning hidden or higher, it should be higher, not lower. This is all to do with the principle of the Divine Mother. The Mother is the process of birth. You, you, you conceive and a child is brought forth and you give birth. That is flow. It is the eternal flow. The whole principle of Christ consciousness is flow in the Divine Mother, the life giver. Why are we being locked into mechanical principles where people are not allowed to have children? Why? Because they want to deny the Divine Mother. They want to deny the Bhavani as it's known in the East, the life giver. The Bhavani is known as Shiva's Shakti. She's also known as his Bhavani. Bhagavan and Bhavani is the Divine Life Giver. Therefore, the eternal flow of life is the Divine Mother. The Divine Feminine is the eternal flow of life. If you dam up the Divine Feminine, if you prevent it even on the physical level, where our youth today are being sterilized, because the Divine Feminine is in both masculine and, and feminine, the seed in the man and, and the ovum in the woman is actually a feminine principle, okay, because it brings forth the life when it is fused together, and then the ovum brings forth that, that, that child, after the fusing of the two principles, Alpha and Omega, then the life can be begotten. And if we remove that, if we sterilize our youth, and it's all mechanical and robots and the robot consciousness, it's death, isn't it? It means that I will deny life. There's no life on this planet is the... The, the luciferic satanic statement, there will be no life on this planet, I will deny it, I will mechanically bind you, so that you cannot progress, so that you cannot transcend, so that you cannot go forward, you cannot overcome your karma either, you will be bound by it. 
If we can't overcome our karma, then God is the anthropomorphic hellfire and brimstone God. And that's life is nothing other than debt. This is also another fallen principle that is promoted, which promotes inertia. What's inertia in the average person who's not awake? Well, what the hell is it all for? How many people say that before they wake up? What the hell is this all for? Am I just here to be a slave? That is the most powerful point in anybody's life. You must never knock anyone who says that because they're about to wake up. Hmm. Because they're questioning so deeply the principle of life. Hmm. Am I just a machine here? Must I just spit out the money every month? Have my kids get old and die? Is that it? Is that the sum total of life? I'm nothing actually but a glorified animal. <laughs> Yogananda Paramahansaji and his great self-realization that he did in, in when he came from India to California wrote there in his book, he did two, two lexicons um, of the, the principle, the esoteric principle of the second coming of the Christ consciousness, which I managed to import many years ago and read and work with. It is quite a, a lexicon of work. And he says there in his work, in his highly cognitive work there, he says, this kind of individuals, these kind of peoples at this point in time, tragically, are really nothing better than glorified animals. It's just they're no longer groveling in the dirt. They're living in a home, but they still live in animal consciousness. Because the word animal means to animate, to move. So when your consciousness is locked in animation, you're locked in death. And what do we give our children today? Animated movies. Because animation is dismemberment. It means to obstruct, flee, throw. It's animated. Meaning there's a mechanical process that makes it move. That's what animation is. Whether it's technically mechanical or not. We hide it behind technocracy today. And digital art and all the rest. But it's still mechanical in the essence. Which was initially brought by one of the most incredibly foul fallen people on this planet was Walt Disney himself. Okay? The whole principle of binding children to animated movies is to lock them into time concept of death. Because something is moving that creature on the screen, but so help me, it isn't Christ. Exactly. Your animations, are, I've never loved, I've never, never liked animations for that very reason. I feel that I'm divorced from all forms of contact with reality. Especially okay. the animations of today. They are absolutely of the most horrific holographic psychic astral forms you've ever seen. Yes, and animations gone on to the level of uh, holographics. As you've said, they're now holographics is to project. You, you can use the whole world as a screen. Yes, exactly. And you can animate whatever you like on there. Exactly. Right, we've got to a certain point here again where it's time for a musical break. And yeah, we've got a beautiful song called The Fire Within.
Oh dear, I'm just checking what's happened here with this song. It doesn't want to play. Okay, let's try another one. Hercules descends, Elohim of cosmic blue fire light. Hercules defends, Hercules defends, seal us in your aura shining bright. I don't know where this is all coming from. Now in your head, so we've got another 15 minutes of discussion and then we have to go to the Hercules descends, Elohim of cosmic blue fire light. I just want to have one more thing about. I thought you said it goes on to 12. Um, 11 30 is to within the earth, no, I just um, feel they can't just leave people where they are. They have to just be delivered from this a little bit. No, I agree. So we go to no, well then, 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 Protecting life upon earth, protecting life upon earth, protecting life upon earth, protecting life upon earth, protecting life Dear Amazoniana comes with crystal diamond shield, defending every child of God in cosmic lightning seal. Hercules descends, Hercules descends, Elohim of cosmic blue fire light. Hercules defends, Hercules defends, seal us in your aura shining bright. Hercules descends now. A very wonderful song. Uh, Hercules descent. Hercules, of course, is the Elohim of the blue fire, which is the will of God. And that song is all about Hercules. But um, we're not here to discuss Hercules. We are here to discuss um, inertia with our f beloved friend Anakalima. So Anakalima, you've brought quite a lot of things here tonight. 
and of this morning, <laughs> I suppose in some people's minds it would be tonight, but it's not tonight. It's uh, uh, the sun is always at the meridian for a person who is awake. So, where would you like to take this conversation now? I think what we need to do is, is find a bit of closure in it, dear heart, and just say that behind inertia also is fear, is a lot of fear that causes people not to move. Because um, I just want to add something here, which I noticed particularly over the last 20 years, which is what these um, cursed banks have done is um, part of the plan to get people where they were, I mean, are today, is they offer a lot of credit, you see, and they make it possible for you to borrow money and buy houses and then they foreclose because then they raise the inflation and so on and so forth and you can't meet it and then they foreclose and they take everything back from you and people have their homes and vehicles and things repossessed. This is part of the the satanic plot in life as well, you see, which undermines a person's ability, a man to keep his home um, and his family and so on and so forth, because it's deliberately done, you see. So we have this subconscious fear, um, what's the point of becoming anything and doing is going to be taken from me anyway. So people have a certain fear that um, the odds that are set against us in society and life are such that we'll never get ahead anyway. And that is actually correct from a certain perspective. It is correct. So um, if, if you look at the graph, it's a beautiful graph in the sense it's very articulate. You would see the rise and fall of the economies of the world are designed exactly to do that, to give people a leash. Oh, come and borrow money. Come and get, come and get. And then they inflate everything and they mess everything up. And Oh, well, you can't meet this. This is inflation. Oh, well, we're taking it all back, you see. And so people are always left with this feeling that they cannot have what they want. There's always this deep inner psychological feeling that you will never get anything you want. It is taken away from you. So what then is the point of my life? So we become inert. We become a little bit frozen because we don't know what to do with ourselves. This is why a lot of you go off the grid. This is why a lot of people go and live the way they do, because they know and understand this process, which is deliberately set to break down the psychology of people so that the sense of building a future, the sense of goal orientation becomes a very hard, mercurial, bitter, greedy ambition. And we have the consciousness of the survival of the fittest and the law of the jungle, okay, which is the fallen consciousness which is what they do to themselves because these beings fight amongst themselves and that's well known in the annals of cosmic history, not only on this planetary body but others. The Gog and Magog fallen principles of the fallen hierarchy when Lucifer was thrown out of heaven, there are two sets, two kinds, and one is always at the other one's throat. Okay, and then they still get mankind embroiled in their own fights and they want you to join this cause and that cause and this cause. At the end of the day, they are just playing with you. Well, you, you're going to join this cause and you'll join that cause, but they're two opposing causes and you can kill each other and we'll sit back and eat popcorn while you're doing it. This is the psychology of the Nephilim mind. Okay, now behind this, yes, it's very brutal what I'm saying, but behind this, that is an absolute reality of what is going on. So where does inertia come in there? Mankind becomes paralyzed. The general average good-hearted individual becomes inert. 
They become inert because they just don't know what to do anymore because they can't beat this thing because they don't believe there's anything else they can do. And why do you have the rising then? Suicide. A suicide entity jumps in, rubs its hands together, and it's legion. In other words, there's billions of suicide entities, billions of them that work specifically at hypnotizing people into um, suicide from children to right through. There's no suicide's no respect of age, right through, you see. This is the plot. Again, it binds you. Now, if you're going to unfortunately end your life because you only believe in mechanical concepts, what you don't realize is that when you reincarnate, you're going to have to deal with the life that you just cut short, plus the new karma that's coming your way. So the burden is very, very heavy. As much as the laws of karma are very merciful and compassionate, that is the law. You can't escape your karma. To, to be denied our karma means that we can't evolve. What do you think this nonsense of comorbidities is about? Comorbidities is none other than a very harsh satanic approach of saying, oh, look at the karma you've got. Oh, well, your karma is such a mess that you're just basically a problem. You're, you're a virus happening towards mankind. So no one is allowed to pay off their karma because they've got comorbidities. So we can't progress because our karma is now incarnated into our body. Therefore, we judged for our karma. We judged because we have karma. But everyone has karma because we are evolving. So everybody has got comorbidities. So everybody is, gets this hang-up about their diseases and they become so fanatically, the lens of the mind comes in again and they become so focused on the comorbidities, they see nothing else. And what do they do? The sheep goes to the slaughter and they will have the vaccine. It's very sad. You see. So there's a very tragic side to inertia as well, because its offshoots are suicide, its offshoots are murder, its offshoots are all kinds of terrible things that take place. And vaccine, get vaccinated. Yeah, well, that's the end, isn't it? You're going to manipulate your own DNA and RNA. Unfortunately, when you reincarnate, you still have to pay that karma off. You can't say, I was forced into it. There comes a point in time when you have to say, how valuable is life? Do I actually have a life? Or am I just a, a walking kind of somnambulant type of robot because there's no life quality in my life? If we can't, we are we have free will. If we can't live our life to, to have free choices and to have free will of what we would like to do and not do, there's no point, is there? If you remove all mankind's freedoms and you tell him that he's a miserable sinner, isn't this comorbidity is another way of saying you're a miserable sinner? It's just another way of saying you're a miserable sinner. Therefore, I'll have to now purify you. I'm going to inoculate you because you can't clean yourself up. You, 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 you can do nothing to clean yourself up. And you now are an infectious problem for the rest of mankind. So we'll have to all round you up and clean you up because you can't clean yourselves up. That's quite a... Shoot me if I'm wrong, but that, that is really a karmic approach to this thing. This is what it really is behind there. And people already have hang-ups about the fear of, I didn't do it. The last thing you want is someone accusing you of something, and it's a terrible feeling, right? And they are the accusers. It's written in the Bible. They accuse the sons and daughters of God before our Lord and God Almighty day and night. Yeah. So, yes, we can look at inertia on many levels, and we can say there also comes a point in time 
where you should ask questions and a lot of. You should ask a lot of questions, but your questions must be intelligently designed and must try not to be wrapped around self-pity because you're just going to go round and round and round if you do that. You need to find a way out of the pit of human consciousness that you've dug yourself into. There is a way out. There is a way out, and that way is straight up. Now, you know, Tama Buddha taught that the left and the right in life is in the middle road is the line between two extreme opposites. We've seen what the left people do and what the right people do in the world. We don't want that anymore. So we're going straight down the middle. It is a very definitive, very narrow line as Jesus taught it as well. It's, he said it was the straight and narrow way. Gautama said it is the middle way. But the middle way is that we don't get involved in too much and too little. We balance. It's always about balance. And Christ is that divine balancer, if you like, or mediator. And you will find, unfortunately, you being universally you, you will find, dear listener, that there will be forces in this universe, this world, this physical world, you cannot see with your eyes. There are not only people on this planet. There are unseen forces and beings on this planet whose modus operandi, if we would like to put it that way, is to make sure that you stay well off your path for as long as they can keep you off your path. Distracting you with this, that, and heaven knows what else. Or should I say forbid what else. So that you never arrive on time, so that you're always stuck in a mechanical timeline. A mechanical timeline is route. It goes round and round and round and round and round until it gets so tight you cannot move anymore. Christ is the way out. Christ is a universality. The universal Christ principle, the universal Christ consciousness has absolutely nothing to do with religion. And until we are willing, till we've been around and around long enough, and the little dog finds eventually he doesn't have a tail anymore because he's bitten it all off. <laughs> you know what I mean? And therefore, to put it very bluntly, he's got his nose right up against his rear end. <laughs> Is that not where people are? And they cannot bear the, the state of their own karma. So at the end of the day, we have to get away from that situation. And the only way out of it is, in, is, is to elevate in Christ consciousness, to move in levity and light. And not through the astral planes, please, dear people. Not through the astral planes. The astral planes is not the light. The astral planes can be looked at as a mirror, which all it does is reflect your own light back at you. There's no light in the astral planes whatsoever. None. The glintering, scintillating astral forms and things that people think are so beautiful. <laughs> it's, it's not. It really isn't not. The only true light is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world, and that is the Christ light. That is the only way out, and that light is levity. That is your ascension vehicle. And you can ascend. You can ascend even if you don't make it in the close of this embodiment, you will ascend in the next embodiment. But you yourself, just as like you can be ignorant when you choose, you can be ignorant when you choose, you can also choose to ascend. You can choose to deliberately ignore something that could end up biting you very hard later on in your life. Or do something about it now and choose to ascend. Ascension is levity, it's light, is to go up, 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 up. Like a helium balloon goes up, 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 
That's the way out. The way out is straight up. Because I tell you, if I look at the evolution of mankind in a V, you take it in a V for victory, and you look at the shape of a V, which is almost quite intense as you come to its pinnacle, that's where mankind is at the moment. There's only one way out of this pit, and that's up. Because you can't go back. It's gone, it's done, it's finished. You can't go back. So where can we go? Up. We can only go up from here, or we will stay in this pit forever. And there are people who like that. The laggard consciousness of mankind are very happy to just keep going round and round and round, and then they become like animals, because they become very territorial. This is mine, that's mine. I bought this, this belongs to me. Get off my property, I'm going to sue you. This is mine, 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 the mine consciousness. It's mine, it belongs to me. I worked for it, I paid for it, it's mine. You know, I once had a most incredible experience I'd like to share before we take prayer. Is actually after the transition of my late stepfather, a tragic human being. And um, I was taken to a place where he went on the astral planes. And my late stepfather had an absolute obsession with cereal, Coca Cola, and biscuits. His whole kitchen was a mixture of various biscuits loads and loads of bottles of coke and incredible cereals you know and he he loved his tannic teas he, he, you know you get these very big mugs he would have a big mug of tannic tea with about seven teaspoons of sugar in it as well to top it all off uh, he was chronic 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 diabetic and didn't care and anyway I was taken to this place on the astral plane and peeped. Now the astral planes are as physical there as we are to each other here. This is what people have got to get their mind around. That this is not the only place that is tangible. People are convinced that this is so. But it is It is not. It's in sheer illusion to think it is. And that they're all just these wavery ghosts flopping around outside there. They're just not at all. Jesus said in my father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so I would have told you. So now it includes unfortunately the astral planes all the way up to the etheric. And this astral plane that this individual arrived at, because also, as I once said to you, the disciples said to Jesus one day, what happens to a man when he dies? And Jesus said, if he is filthy, let him be filthy still. In other words, we take this individual as an example. He was an absolute glutton when it came to food. Absolute, terrible, terrible glutton. And where did he go? He went to a place where he could continue his gluttony. And there he was in this little house, and he was sitting at his dining room table in there, and on the table were two bottles of Coca-Cola, three boxes of cereal, a whole lot of biscuits, loads of milk, tons of sugar, and he had a bowl, and he was washing this stuff down in his throat, you see. And I looked at this with absolute revulsion. But the reason I'm telling you is this is I turned around, because something was attracting my attention behind me, and across the road, and there was this little, very thin old spinster-type lady who could have been easily in her early 70s. Very thin, wispy little woman. And neat little house with a neat little garden and everything. And one of these old ladies that, that, that wears a sort of skirt to the mid-calf and so on and a little sort of net over the hair and so on and so forth and that kind of image you've got. And because I crossed the road, 
and went onto the pavement and stepped onto where it was basically obstemptually hers. She rushed out of her house and she said, Shoo, 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 go away, go away, go away, go away, go away. This is mine, this is my house, it's mine. Move, get out. Now you think I'm making this up. I'm telling you, this is the experience I was given. And I, I resurfaced in my body and I can see this woman clearly now as you're sitting in front of me. And I thought, dear God, can you imagine how this woman lived in her life? Everything belonged to her. Everything was hers. Mine, 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 mine. So she ends up, she makes transition or dies, as people like to say. And she goes onto a plane, to the astral plane there, where she will then get given exactly the state of her consciousness where her mind is. And she lives all by herself in that house. This is all mine. Don't you think that's fascinating? I beg my listeners to think carefully about what I've just said. Because I haven't got time to fantasize about things and make these things up. This is a reality. This vision I was given in um, 1998, 1998, late 1998, when this individual had his transition. And I was taken to this plane to see where he was. A very far cry from where my mother went after her transition. Thank you so much. That was a very enlightening uh, story. Um, and especially nowadays when people talk so much about the astral and think that this is some kind of high world. In fact, it is not a high world. It's a shadowy world. It's a shadow world. Astrality is a reflected world. It's not a real world. So thank you so much for everything you've brought this morning. And we're going to take a little musical break and then we will come back and uh, you will have an opportunity either to say a prayer or to bring something uh, to really lift uh, our listeners up and uh, then we can close off. Um, is that okay? That's perfect, thank you. Good. So let's see if this next song will play. Oh dear, this next song won't play. Looks like I've got a... Oh, I see why it won't play. Anyway, look, here we go. Joy to the world. Um, obviously, that wasn't the right song to play right now. So let us play this one.
Okay, so we have uh, spent uh, uh, at least uh, two hours uh, talking to Anna Kalima. This is Anna Kalima's talk show. And um, she always, after two hours of talking to us, uh, gets an opportunity to bring something to uplift or pray, um, where she will bring uh, something to close our talk show off. So, Anna Kalima, over to you. Yes, it is a wondrous thing, isn't it? When we are prepared to go beyond the apparent road that is just standing in front of us and we have the courage to lift away from the orthodox and the bound. Because until you enter and experience Christ consciousness, you will believe that that's all there is. You see, and those are the constructs you must now operate in. And it's very sad when people make it their religion. It's very funny that I find most people who are, or in fact, or should I say the most religious people in the world are the orthodox and the, and the bound because they make their life a religion, you see, and they won't move from its orthodoxy and from the self-made slavery of their habits. Jesus also says that it is habit that becomes the slaver. You see, your habit is the slaver and you are the slave. And the tyranny is driven by the dweller on the threshold where some people feel they can never overcome whatever it is that they need to overcome. But I would like to suggest that inertia is in fact a habit which we have unwittingly and sometimes knowingly entered into in a kind of contract with life and that habit has to be broken and the only way we can truly break the habit of inertia or the line of least resistance is to be willing to awaken and enter into the Christ consciousness into the freedom of the divine mind of God so that we can see once we enter this mind and once we feel a little bit of enlightenment um, and lifting up of our concepts and our thoughts and processes and we feel happier, we feel a little bit more spontaneous to life as well because Christ is buoyancy, it's levity, it's light will always make you feel better you see but as with charismatic Christianity you can still be stuck in inertia with your concepts of Christ which are perhaps some of the most dangerous of all believing that Christ is a fixed figure of how you see him what he did and didn't do is is another story for another time and it locks people into religious wars and you know you have the great Albigensis as well in the War of the Cathars. You have all sorts of things, the Carthaginic Wars of Hannibal the Great and so on and so forth, where people are locked into these paradigms of non-belief which are mechanical thinking and creates an inertia of death. And it's very difficult to get out of that. Jesus also made comment where he says, he said in his teachings, there is a way unto man that seemeth right, but leadeth to death, meaning you will keep reincarnating 
because you are browned in your conceptual thinking and you're not prepared to free yourself through the power of the heart with divine love and the will of Almighty God because in a sense you've got to understand it is only through the divine will of Almighty God that you will be delivered from this. That is why he sent Jesus in the first place. He sent his son Jesus Christ to deliver us from death, not physical death, from the death of the mind, from the death of the heart. He sent to deliver us from it so that we don't get bound to it and we birth Christ consciousness. So what's happened in the last 2,000 years? They have prosecuted the feminine in every possible way they can because they prosecute the flow of abundance and life. So we pray now for the light of the Divine Mother to enter into the hearts of mankind. When Mary was removed, her image her iconical images were removed in Middle Europe out of the churches in Europe. Unfortunately, there are many who believe that um, a certain individual who came along to set them free didn't set them free at all. In fact, he bound them because of his activities. This particular individual ended up successfully in removing the iconical images of Mary out of every single church in Europe. Out of the Catholic Church, no, it's still there. But out of all the other Christian churches that we know of today, because this is a fairly modern individual, and we have a situation today where you have all these branches of Christianity, um, and evangelism and so on and so forth, but there's no image of Mary. Now Mary means the mother ray. Mary is the divine mother. If you remove the mother out of Christ consciousness, how can the consciousness be born and flow in you? It can't. Christ is not only male, it is in the fe feminine too. So if we don't have the divine mother, then how can we give birth to Christ consciousness? It's stale. It's completely stale, you see. So we've got to see that the hatred of the divine feminine, the hatred of physical, and some people hate being in embodiment. So therefore, uh, we were taught by the Masters and El Moria as well that the hatred of physical embodiment roots to the hatred of the divine mother. It's the hatred of life. You hate life. In other words, you resent the fact you have to reincarnate and pay your karma off. You don't want to pay it off. It's a very difficult subject, but that's where inertia can begin. We become catatonic. We become frozen, like Parshival, who was frozen in the snow with three drops of blood. Not so. And so Gawain came on his horse and threw a handkerchief over the three drops of blood so that his mesmerism would snap out of it and he would see what's actually going on. And Parshival was none other than our beloved Master Kathumi. So we, we've got to look at these things and, and, and look at them and say, why did he do that? What was the archetype of the great chronicles of King Arthur? Was Because karma, by the way, is, as you know, beloved Ralph, in, in certain teachings is represented by snow and the, and the snowy mountains and the great fir trees and so on, or the returning tides of Saturn. Okay, so... Um, Whenever you have dreams where there's a lot of snow in it, it's usually to do with the return of karma. So in the karmic stream of his evolution, Parshaval was caught up in a bit of mesmeric non-understanding there. 
as to the three drops of blood of Christ and to try and understand what the Holy Grail was all about or the awakening in the heart because the Holy Grail is to do with the awakening of the Christ consciousness in the heart. So this is what I leave with you all now and I pray for those of you who might find this particular topic today a little bit difficult to integrate with Perhaps you need at a certain stage to listen to it and then listen to it again. And you can always pray, you know, um, Christ is free. One of the few free things that are left in the world is the love of God and the love of Christ. And therefore we don't have to pay to enter into Christ consciousness in the sense of the way we understand it. We will pay later in the sense we're going to have to leave the world we so dearly love, leave all the concepts we so dearly believe in and all the opinions that we want everyone to know ourselves by because often or not these are mainstreamed on other people's beliefs and they're not really even your own. How many times have any of you sat down and realized in, in, in stark clarity that sometimes the, the, the opinions you cherish so much, if you really dig down to their roots, they're not even your own. It's something you picked up somewhere else, someone said or read or said or whatever. Is it really you? Is that you? Is that really how you think and feel? Or have you borrowed someone's opinion and made it your own? Which means you don't know who you are. It means you don't know your own Christ consciousness because you are relying on other people's thoughts to give you some sort of consciousness. If you want to be truly an individual, if you want to individuate in God Almighty, in the great macro-omni-consciousnesses of the, the, the cosmic Christ consciousness of Almighty God, you've got to be prepared to pay the price. Now, if I can end on this as well to say, in, in, in the biblical doctrines, they've twisted the canonical teachings of Christ by saying, you only live one life because it is given unto man to only die once. This is where they were very cunning and very clever and very evil. So they took this teaching and they twisted it. But the giving to die only once is the death of the ego. It's got nothing to do with your physical body. Just as in Islam, the jihad is not to go and slaughter people. It is to actually slaughter the dweller on the threshold by overcoming the dweller on the threshold. You can't kill the dweller on the threshold. You overcome it. You have to overcome your tendencies and habits and so on and so forth. So in the Christian teachings, it is given unto man to only die once. Well, you know, you can take that mechanically and say, oh, I've got to go one life. Or you can realize what is it then that has to die in me? Is the thing you cherish the most, your ego. Your ego consciousness has to die. And how does it die? Paul in the Bible, who is now the great beloved Master Hilarion, made it clear, he said, I die daily. So we overcome the soul's tendencies to be mechanical or in the ego because the ego is the mechanical concept of the soul. That's what it is. The ego is the mechanical concept of the soul. If you want to undo these mechanics... You have to go. It's like a lady who makes a beautiful woolen garment and she's almost done and then right down in the middle near the bottom end there is a big lump there. So she has to do the whole jersey, you see, because it's just, she can't sneak or change anything. She's got to unravel this entire garment because the problem lies in the hem. Do you understand? <laughs> so Jesus helps us to undo the entire garment because we've woven it with imperfection. That's why we have the violet flame. Because in mercy and compassion, Christ comes along in the heart of God and says, no, you don't have to unravel the garment quite as mechanically as that. I can help you 
transmute this garment into light so that you don't have to go down to the last stitch and start knitting all over again. I will help you with the violet flame where the entire garment is washed, purified, cleaned, and therefore you can then change and then transfigure that garment into the Christ consciousness. That is the violet flame. That is the violet flame which is the heart of God. God's heart, God's love is the violet flame. So I bless and seal each and every one of you with these divine thoughts from the very heart of the Christ and say, you know what, with all the conversations we've had today, and yes, you've learned I've got to now go off and go and sort out my driver's license tomorrow, which is really a pain in the neck because I've got to go and draw out a bank statement for proof of residence. Really, it's 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 just a little bit too much, all this bureaucratic stuff. But anyhow, we call on the Christ to lift our spirit. We call on the Christ to make us feel a little bit better. And I'm going to go like a good Samaritan this afternoon and draw my bank statement so that I can go and line up tomorrow in Somerset West and go and sort out my driver's license, which is expired, by the way, everybody. So <laughs> um, I really ought to go and sort it out before I get into trouble. And that's all the, the, the fault of the comorbidities of COVID, <laughs> which they said that we were not allowed to renew our licenses till a certain period of time. I apparently have a grace until August, but um, I'm about to drive up to Johannesburg, so I really need that license sorted out uh, very quickly. Because I don't know if the police in Bloemfontein, for example, are going to be as compassionate to my situation. That's the Somerset West. So we won't take that chance, you see. <laughs> but we, we, we receive the Christ now in our heart. We receive the Christ in our soul. And we say, O oh Lord, O oh merciful Jesus, Thou who art the Prince of Peace, we call in Your name and Your Sacred Heart into the Immaculate Heart of Thy Mother Mary. We call to the Merciful Heart of Kwan Su Yin and to Lady Venus. And we ask, give us the understanding, give us the enlightenment that will deliver us from this rout of inertia that we may awaken fully and shake off this dust from the outer form, this tendency to fall asleep all the time, this tendency to be locked into these patterns, these habits that just go round and round. Oh Lord, teach me how to break the pattern of inertia, the pattern of death sown by the keepers of death, which is the fallen Egyptian black brotherhood, as they have sown it deeply into the consciousness of mankind to live somnambulantly and that that's okay and it's all right to be like that and you know you just carry on from one day to the next no it's not all right because why you yourself are going to block your own evolution and your own transcendence you're going to get stuck for a very long time we are living in the time of the golden age of saint germain that will come through regardless and all these souls who enjoy to sleep so very much will be moved along and there is no two maybes about that. So we want very much to wake up and to in, enter into the Christ consciousness. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now the resurrection is the antidote to inertia. The resurrection is the antidote for inertia. So truly he is the life that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Almighty God in his great compassion sent him to us 
so that we could awaken in his great mind, which is the mind of the cosmic Christ. It is the mind of Almighty God. It is the way out. And yes, it's not going to be an easy boat ride, but you've got to weigh up the pros and cons and decide whether you want to be locked into comfort zone forever or you want to actually rise above inertia or death or Egypt and ascend back to the glorious state of your immortality, which is your divine inheritance. I thank you very much. God bless you all. Thank you so much, Anakalima. This has been a wonderful time. Thank you for your prayer. And uh, uh, we hopefully we'll be able to do this again when it is possible. Anakalima Kandi is not always available. So when she's available, we will try and do another one. But we thank you de deeply uh, for this uh, conversation today. Anakalima and I also thank the masters that are with you that uh, prompt all these answers and to give us this enlightenment through you. Thank you, beloved masters. So that is it for today. Anakalima's uh, talk show. So we'll finish off now and uh, <clears throat> with a song and then we will close off. So until next time, goodbye. Come to